0: Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. Well, we're, we're in the middle of the series called The Ladder. We've been studying the life of Jacob, and today Jacob reaches, let's call it the final rung of the ladder, and maybe he finds out he's been climbing the wrong ladder all along. Let's look at Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32, all right? And I'm going to read them here off the screen. You can keep an eye on it as we read. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he sent them across the stream. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go. It's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It's because I saw God face to face. He realized who he was wrestling with. I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites did not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was where uh, was touched near the tendon. Father, we take a moment right now and just ask that your Holy Spirit would be the ultimate teacher in the room. Open our ears to your word. Open our hearts to your truth and propel our lives forward in your purposes because of the time that we spent together today in your house. In Jesus' name we pray. Can we say amen together? Amen. Amen. Well, recognizing the fact that we have dedicated some amazingly perfect babies today while continuing our study in the life of Jacob and the life of a man who was his whole life a schemer (laughs) and a dreamer, If I was to title this message today, I would title it God and the Strong Willed. God and the Strong Willed. I mean, when you uh, uh, have you ever wondered, reading the story of Jacob in Scripture, have you ever wondered if Jacob was that strong willed child? I mean, you're thinking. Yeah, I had one of them. Or maybe you're saying, I've got one of them right now. And I can tell you right now, I think they might just be able to go toe-to-toe with God all night long. Because they've gone toe-to-toe with me all night long. Any moms and dads ever been there before? We know it, don't we? Congratulations. If that's you, you've got a world changer on your hand. You hear me? you got a world changer on your hand just waiting to be shaped and molded for the purposes of God. So in a nutshell, the moral of this story of Jacob wrestling with God, the moral of this story is simple. We have a God who loves us so much, He will go to any lengths to break our will. He will go to any lengths to free our spirit. He will go to any lengths to propel us into the calling and destiny that He has dreamed for each and every one of us since before the day we were born. The very name Israel, which can mean God wrestles here in chapter through 32, the very name Israel lets us know God wrestles, that God is after us and is relentless because, he, and he's not mad at us, he gets mad for us because he knows what we're missing, so he pursues us until he has us because he knows that's the greatest life, the most productive life, the most fulfilling life we will ever live. It was a long, long time ago, my senior year of high school. I had a youth pastor that knew I had a call of God on my life to be a minister, but that senior year was marked by a lot of frivolity, not paying a whole lot of attention to my future and call. I wasn't messing up horribly, I wasn't walking away from God, but I was definitely missing the mark and not taking the work of God in my life and the call of God on my life seriously. And one day he pulled me aside. He very lovingly said, do you mind if I pray for you? And I said, no, that's, that's fine. And I never will, never will forget the prayer he prayed over me. In the midst of this loving prayer, he said this, God, whatever you got to do, whatever you got to do to get Randy on track, to fulfill the call you have on his life, God, do it. That was a shocking prayer. That was a scary prayer to hear prayed over your life. God, whatever you have to do. In our text, Jacob is about to come face-to-face with his twin brother, Harry, which is what Esau means. He's got this twin brother, Harry. He's about to come face-to-face. He's scared to death. He has swindled people his whole life. And here he is at the end of his rope. Jacob is out of options He's burned all bridges, yet he's still trying to smooth his way through the situation. And he sends everybody and everything across the Jabbok, and the Jabbok was a small, little, remote tributary of the Jordan River out in the middle of nowhere. He sends family and possessions, everything across the tributary of the Jordan, and now he's all alone, he's all alone with himself, and he's all alone with his thoughts, and he's all alone weighing the consequences of years of getting over on people. From being the heel grabber at birth, hence the name Jacob, which means heel grabber, to the one who stole the birthright from his brother over over a bowl of soup, to the one who got his dad to pronounce the blessing on him instead of his older brother with the help of his mom. Come on. It's not a good thing when parents play favorites. And I'm thinking, what's the difference between a birthright and a blessing? Because Jacob swindled his older brother out of both of them. And the birthright was only given to the firstborn. And because of the birthright, the firstborn got a double portion of the entire inheritance. It was a big deal. Now, the blessing can be given to any, regardless of birthright, But the blessing to the firstborn was always greater than a blessing on any of the other kids. And Esau lost both of them to his little brother, his twin. The birthright was like a last will and testament. We read over and over in the Scripture, dads pronouncing blessing upon their kids. It was like a last will and testament. History reveals it as a prized revealing of God's will in people's lives. The blessing often spoke to the future of the hand of God on the next generation in the individual's life. And in getting over on on dad, Isaac actually said in that moment to his dad who couldn't see anymore and his mom helped him disguise his arm to make it feel hairy like Esau's arm, Isaac actually said to dad, I'm Esau! He flat out lies to his dad to steal the blessing prompting older brother Harry when he heard about it to proclaim, you know what, mom and dad, you sure did name him right, Genesis chapter 27. He sure does live up to the name. He's done it to me again. Verse 24 says, so Jake was left alone. Friends, sometimes alone is the best place for us to uncomfortably be. We run too fast from alone today. The moment we're alone, suddenly we turn on the music, we open up the computer, we run to anything to fill our lives with sights, sounds, noise, and experiences when God is wanting us just to be alone with Him for a while. Jeremiah the prophet said, Lord, because Your hand was upon me, I sat alone. It wasn't judgment. It was the place of blessing. He says, Precise, because Your hand is upon me, You've got a plan and a purpose for my life. I sat alone, and in that place of aloneness, God, You did amazing things in me, prepared me for what You would do through me. Sometimes alone is the very best place we can uncomfortably be. So it's been said you can cross the Red Sea with the whole nation leaving Egypt, and you can cross the Jordan with those about to inherit the promised land, but you go to Jabok alone, all alone. Every one of us individually has that moment and those moments alone with God that are revolutionary, crucial moments in our walk with him. For Jacob, in this moment, alone at the Jabbok, about ready to face his brother the next day, it looked like the end, but i got to ask you today, was it just the beginning of something brand new and exciting? Was it really the end or was it just the beginning of what God was about to do in his life? And there, alone in the darkness, on the other side of the Jabbok, The Bible says a man begins to wrestle with him, and I want you to notice who initiates the struggle, and as they wrestle all night, Jacob realizes the struggle was initiated by God himself, and what was the purpose of this wrestling match that God initiated? First of all, God wanted Jacob to recognize his own weakness and to finally face his character. It's as though God was saying, hey, you got over on your brother, you got over on your dad, you got over on your uncle Laban, but you're not going to get over on me. Secondly, the purpose of this wrestling is that God wanted Jacob to finally yield, to become that new man who could receive God's blessings and find his place in God's big kingdom plan. The third reason for the wrestling God wanted Jacob to receive a new name and a new identity. And he moves from Jacob, heel-grabbing, supplanter, schemer, to Israel, prince with God, who wrestled with God and prevailed. And finally, I think God wrestled with Jacob all night because he just wanted Jacob to know the joy and the freedom of being a God-governed man instead of a self-governed man. Do you hear me today? A God governed man instead of a self-governed man, the joy and the freedom instead of being on that continuous treadmill of his own flawed character and unscrupulous character as a heel grabber. And and, and I, I read the text and I ask the question why did it take all night? I mean, seriously, do we really believe? Jacob held his own against Almighty God all night long. I don't think so. I see this chapter more like a dad in a wrestling match with his young boys. You know, (laughs) two of my sons are here in the room today, and I think back to those times when they were preschool and elementary, and it would just be wrestling matches in the living room and two or three of them coming from all directions at once, and I'm on the ground, and and they're giving it everything they've got. And I'm getting blindsided from this side, blindsided from that side, and their goal is to take me down. My goal is, God, just don't let me hurt them. Isn't that kind of probably what's going on with Jacob and God right now? Huh? God, don't let me hurt them. Then submission hold, I was tired, I was done, a wrist lock, a milk the mouse, something to just put them in total submission, and it was game over on the living room carpet. Now, that was a long time ago, and times have changed. Maybe today they could hold their own against me. Come on. I mean, there is this thing called old man strength. Come on. And all the men over 60 said amen today, right? But by daybreak, God has played I win with Jacob, and he has touched his hip socket. And before He lets, Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, he's still after the blessing. Not the blessing of an earthly dad, but the blessing of a, of a heavenly father. And, and it's an interesting response to the question, bless me, when God answers with his question, what's your name? God knows what his name was. God knew. What's your name? As if to say, come on, Jacob. Let's face it. Once and for all, let's do this. What's your name? And I wonder in that moment if Jacob finally eased off in the wrestling match. I wonder if his shoulders slumped. I wonder if his head drooped. And I wonder if in that moment he finally looked up in the eyes of God and said, My name, my name's is Jacob. Jacob is who I am. Jacob is what I am. And in that moment, did God find tenderness and contrition and brokenness and openness? In Jacob's heart, because out of that response and the way he responded, God indeed blessed him. Read between the lines. God must have seen the brokenness he was after here in order to bring the blessing. A new name, a new purpose. Defeat turns to favor and life and power. Hear me, blessing always follows brokenness before God. Blessing always follows brokenness before God. Proverbs 22.3 says this, Humility and the fear of the Lord. How good is that? Being humble before God and walking in the fear of the Lord. Being more concerned about what God thinks than people thinks. Walking in the fear of the Lord to, 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 to value His wisdom over your own understanding. Walking in the fear of the Lord to reverence and reference God in such a way that you put him first in every situation. Humility and the fear of the Lord, the Bible says, brings wealth, honor, and life. How good is that? And Jacob calls that place Peniel, which means the face of God. And I've got a question for you this morning. Is it j time for you? Is this a moment in time to shut out all the other noise and just to be alone with God? To look Him in the face? Maybe God has a personal penile for you in this coming week that will be revolutionary in your walk with God and your purposes on earth. And as the sun rose over the Jabbok, Jacob, now Israel, limped with joy into a brand new destiny, limped with joy into a brand new calling, prince, of, prince with God, walking in the peace of God for the first time in his life. As I was preparing this, I had this thought the other night. To limp into destiny is surely so much better than to run into our self-will and mediocrity. To limp into our destiny is so much better than to run into our self-will in mediocrity. And over the years, I've talked with so many parents. Parents with adult Jacobs. Through no fault of their own. Parents who raise their family in God, raise their family in the house of God. Parents who have kids who have been created for the purposes of God, but even in their adult lives, it hasn't clicked in yet. They're not serving God. And I want to say, if that's you today, don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Take courage from the God of Jacob. They're just one jaybok away from their destiny in God. So maybe it's your time to pray, whatever it takes, God whatever it takes. And I love this as God would later reveal himself to Moses at the burning bush. He would say to Moses, I'm the God of Abraham. I promise to bless you and make you a blessing to people all over the world. I'm the God of Isaac. I keep those promises, even though it may not be on your timetable. I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Jacob, but this one spins my head. I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, but I'm also the God of Jacob. Though he wanders, I know how to bring him home again. Never stop praying. Never stop believing. Whatever it takes, God. Hmm. Well, back to my original question. You think Jacob was a strong-willed child? Do you think he was a terrible too? What do you think? <laughs> I want to take the balance of our morning here to talk about as a congregation together and as parents specifically, just about raising kids for a few minutes. And it's important in this day and age not to start this conversation where culture starts, but where Scripture starts. Somebody say Amen. Because we want our parenting styles and our parenting convictions rooted in Scripture and not in culture. Because the Bible says there's a way that seems right, but that way leads to what? Destruction, isn't that right? So I want us to look at a few Scriptures here today, all right? right, Here we go, Psalm 51, verse 5 says this. We're going to go rapid fire here, guys. I think... (laughs) I think is it punched in ok what's that Psalm 51 5 tells us in sin I was born and in sin my mother conceived me Genesis surely I was sinful at birth to reversion sinful from the time my mother conceived me thank you and then we've got Genesis 8.21, a scripture that comes out of the flood, and it says in the middle of this, okay, catch this, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. You know, that is describing those cute little babies we just dedicated. Thank you very much. Romans 3.23 23. For all have sinned. That includes our kids. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Proverbs 22, 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. I like how the CEV version says it. All children are foolish, but firm, consistent correction will make them change. How good is that? Firm, consistent correction will make them change. What are these scriptures telling us? What are the implications? That strong sin nature begins the moment we take our first breath out of the womb. They're cute, they're lovable, they're adorable. But all of us have been born in sin. And the sin bent is real and strong inside us. Let's look at Proverbs twenty nine seventeen. What's the Bible say? Discipline your children, and they will give you peace. They will bring you your bring you the delights you desire. Proverbs twenty nine seventeen in today's Passion translation. Correct your child, and one day you'll find he has changed. One day doesn't happen all at once. Correct your child, and one day you'll find he has changed, and he will bring you great delight. One day, this is something I just want to pass on about why we discipline our kids. The goal of all discipline is self-discipline. Translation, the things I'm dealing with at age 4, I don't want to still be dealing with at age 17. I want to deal with them at age 4 and 5 in such a way that discipline suddenly becomes internalized and valued by the child and it has become self-discipline. Proverbs 29.15 A rod and reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces his mother. CEV says correct your children and they will be wise. Children out of control disgrace their mothers. I, it's been quite a while ago but Becky and I decided to have a quiet dinner in a nice little place in Chagrin Falls years ago. And um a couple tables over. There was a mom with a toddler. And it was it was rough for everybody. And we've been through those times, and we understand those times. But it just kept going and going and going. And I'm thinking, lady, I feel for you right now. But, oh, my God, just please take them to the bathroom and deal with this. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you know that negotiation is not always a great ploy for two- and three-year-olds? Huh? We just need to terminate the behavior, not the child. We just need to terminate the behavior. And, you know, we're trying to enjoy our meal. We're talking, and suddenly as we're looking, we're talking, this fork flies from one table and lands right in the middle of our table. And I look over, and she looked at me, and it was like, and she went right back to trying to negotiate with her child. The goal of all discipline is... Self-discipline, and uh, and the Scripture says, correct your children, and they will be wise. Proverbs 19.18, just listen to this from today's Passion Translation. Don't be afraid to discipline your children while they're still young enough to learn. Don't indulge your children or be swayed by their protest. Proverbs twenty three thirteen Passion Translation. Don't withhold appropriate discipline from your child. Go ahead and punish him when he needs it. Don't worry, it won't kill him. That's the Passion Translation of the Bible. What do all these verses tell us? Consistent biblical discipline is a non-negotiable as we raise God's world changers. So like God, with Jacob, we need to play I win with our kids. Their character and our peace of mind depend on it. So, so, so here's the deal. Here's the deal with Jacob. And this is a challenging thought. His character flaws were obvious from a very, very young age in how he dealt with people and smoothed and swindled. Yet here's the reality. His parents did nothing to challenge him in his growing up years. All those verses of Scripture we just read about loving discipline, his parents did nothing to challenge them during his growing up years. And hear me, hear me please. Some things kids just don't grow out of it's very easy to say, oh, they'll grow out of it. But some things kids just don't grow out of, that's why he's given them loving Christian parents. In fact, in a previous story in Jacob's life, his mom encouraged and participated in his scheming. So let's just call Jacob the called but coddled in life. Called of God but coddled by parents. And I just wonder if mom and dad would have wrestled with those issues at a young age, would God have had to wrestle with him by the j in his adult years? Maybe, maybe not. We'll never know. James Dobson, the founder of Focus on the Family, lover of God, now with Jesus. I just want to read something he wrote in the introduction of his book on the strong-willed child. He said, The human spirit is exceedingly fragile at all ages and must be handled with care. It involves a person's view of himself, his personal worth, and the emotional factors to which this book is dedicated. A parent can damage his child's spirit very easily by ridicule, disrespect, threats to withdraw love, verbal rejection... Anything that depreciates his self-esteem is costly to his spirit. However, while the spirit is brittle and must be treated gently, the will is made of steel. It is full strength from the moment of birth, as any midnight bottle warmer understands. Any midnight bottle warmers out there? Even a child whose spirit has been crushed can present the most awesome display of willful power. We want then to shape the will of a child but leave his spirit intact. This is done by requiring reasonable obedience to predetermined commands. And then winning the battles, he, the child, she, the child chooses to initiate. If you permit your youngster's will to remain unbridled, the result will often be extreme self-will which makes him useless to himself, others, others and even to God. That's Dr. James Dobson. So these first five years of life, as we dedicated babies today, they're just really, really important. Wouldn't have time to get into a whole parenting seminar today, but let me just say this. Becky and I call the first five years of life the stand against years, where we have to win the battle of the wills. All right? The goal of the first five years is that the child's will becomes submitted to yours. And one of the sayings around our household from when the time Ryan was that big, JP was that big, was very simple. Obey right away. Obey right away. Because the Bible teaches that partial obedience is disobedience and delayed obedience is disobedience. So we work really hard to have our kids Learn how to obey right away. The first five years of life. And if you're going to have them obey right away, and if you're going to deal with their will, <laughs> they're not always going to like you. But if we have to be liked by our kids all the time. We just might be in trouble. During these first five years, we're the parent. and over time, we become more and more the friend. If the first five years of the stand against years, then the years between ages about 6 and 12, they're the work with years, where we encourage and develop their giftings. And we strategize how to deal with the negative aspects of their character like we see in Jacob's life. And the goal of these middle years are shaping shaping their callings and, and, and cooperation with the family, with the parents. And finally, during the teen and collegiate years, we call these the prepare to launch years. They are, isn't that right? Preparing to launch, where we there's continued development and growth and self discipline. And the goal of the prepare to launch years, teams in college, is simply this: we want them to become God dependent and not self dependent or parent dependent. We want to become God dependent. And the second goal of these years is emancipation, not for the kid but for the parent. Ryan was the last one to go to college. The day he walked out the door to drive to college, we gave him a big hug. Shed a tear. Becky and I closed the door. Gave each other a big high five. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Love you, Ryan. <laughs> hmm. One more verse of scripture today and we'll be done. Proverbs 22.6. You probably know it well. Train up a child in the way he should go when he is old he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. I love this verse, but I want to tell you it has nothing to do with our kids ending up in heaven one day. As you break down the meaning of the words in the original language, it's all about becoming a student of our kids to know them inside and out. It's all about partnering with God and how he has made them, how he has wired them. That phrase, in the way he should go, is all about recognizing the way God has made them, their gifts and talents, and also the bents and the character flaws that need to be dealt with so they don't become hindrances to calling and destiny and purpose in God. So discover the gifts in your kids. Discover the callings and the talents in your kids. First of all, by getting them involved in a lot of things. I mean... If we only allowed our kids in the preschool and elementary years to do the things they wanted to do, or they felt like doing, they may not discover some things they actually like, some things they're actually good at, or some things that God has wired them to do. Our, our oldest son, Aaron, you know, we can pick on him. He's not here. <laughs> I love my son, Aaron. He's served God all over the world now. He and his wife are planting a church in the heart of Seattle. I absolutely love it. You know, we say of our kids, Becky and I say, four kids, we raised three and we reared one. And Aaron, we had the bright idea of getting him involved in piano lessons. Oh, my goodness. Misery for everybody. It was just like pulling teeth every week. And it didn't last very long. And when it was over, we all said hallelujah. But if we hadn't gotten him involved in those piano lessons that he did not want to take, we would never have discovered his piano teacher told us, hey, your son has perfect pitch. And Aaron would ultimately become a worship leader on three different continents for the glory of God. Never would have found that out. If we just said, Aaron, do you want to do this? Do you like to do this? If they only do what they like or want to do, it may result in nothing but friends and video games. That's not going to advance them in the purposes of God very, very quickly. We develop their gifts by putting them in training opportunities once they begin to emerge. And all the while... We're dealing with those negative events and character challenges that could become hindrances to their calling. And here's the promise of of Proverbs 22.6. When they are old, when they are adults, they will not depart from it. They will not depart from the way God made them and the way God prepared them and fashioned them in the way that they will give greatest glory to God while they have life on this planet. So church, parents... I want to encourage you to say, let's be students of the kids that God has given us a steward. Think about that precious baby dedication. God, thank you for the privilege of stewarding these kids. They're your kids first before they're ours. Thank you for entrusting us with their development for your glory. Stewards of the next generation. Let's create the atmosphere and opportunity to develop those gifts and callings as a church. May they discover that in the family of God and in their households. And I believe one by one, with all our kids, the Jacob tendencies will slowly disappear. Hallelujah. And the Israel, the call of God on their lives, will emerge. They will become what God purposed them to be in skill, character, and purpose. And like David of old, and I love this, what's said about his life, they will serve the purposes of God in their generation. Isn't that our prayer for every one of these kids we dedicated today? That they serve the purposes of God in their generation. Today we dedicated babies. What a joy. But now I'm going to ask us to dedicate ourselves. To dedicate ourselves as a church and to dedicate ourselves as parents to pray over the next generation that God has placed in Word of Grace. To disciple the next generation in the character, ways, and mission of God. And to uh, develop and launch every child that God has placed in this church into their God-given destiny. That's our privilege as the people of God. God's word has a lot to say about raising kids. God's word has a lot to say about the importance of discipline and being students of our kids. God's word has a lot to say through positive and negative examples of his families throughout the Old Testament. Let's be learners. Let's parent and shepherd as a church according to scripture and not culture until every child that moves through this church fulfills the plans of God for their life. Let's stand together, church. Before we have a final prayer, I, I would be remiss, as we talked about Jacob and wrestling with God today, And the incredible transformation. One night, he's Jacob, the schemer. In a moment's time, he is Israel, Prince with God, walking in a whole new, whole new destiny. And in an audience like this, and for those watching online, there may be some people here that that just find themselves wandered and away from God today. And maybe Jesus is not the leader and Lord of your life. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. Why does it say that? Because nobody's promised tomorrow. So today is the day of salvation. And if you're away from God today, and if you're wrestling or just ignoring God and you're trying to run your own show, none of us are are able to do that. We've all proved that. I encourage you today to yield. I encourage you today to bow the knee. I encourage you today to invite Jesus to be your Savior and the leader of your life. Paul says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, Jesus, you're Lord and I'm not. And we believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. We will be saved. We will be delivered. We will be transformed. We'll walk into a brand new future with him. If that's you today, Pastor Ryan, myself, some of the leaders will be hanging around the front, or right where you are as we just bow our hearts in prayer in just a minute, you can take that moment, God knows your heart, to simply say, God, I'm away from you, and, and I want that to end. I need you. I, I confess my sin. I confess my rebellion. I confess that I've tried to do it all my own way. But today I'm coming home. Heavenly Father, I'm coming back to your house. Forgive me of my sin and lead my life and God will hear your prayer and today will be your spiritual birthday. Now as we're standing, as I said, I, I wanted to take this moment as we've dedicated babies this morning to dedicate ourselves. And let's just to pray for our kids and so we just bow our hearts all across this place. hard to believe that these little feet will walk into the next generation. May they be feet that bring the gospel of peace to every situation. Sometimes I shrink at the hopeless world my helpless child must grow in. That's why I pray while I'm watching him play that he might carry Christ in him. Lord Jesus. We bow our hearts and our very lives before you this morning. You've brought us together as a people, as a tribe, as this thing called Word of Grace. You've called us to build our lives together in such a way that we're a safe place for the next generation. You've deposited in this church your next waves of Daniels and Marys and Josephs and Esther's. Like the sons of Issachar, may they know the times and the seasons and what needs to be done. Like... Like David, may they serve the purposes of God and their generation. Like Esther, may they stand strong in the face of adversity. Like Daniel, may they represent you in the highest places of power. God, we bless the kids of Word of Grace today. In Jesus' name, we bless them today. In the name of the Lord. God we pray your best for them we pray they're your highest for them God we just don't pray that they turn out to be good kids we pray out that they turn to be that we pray that they turn out to be God's kids Amen. fulfilling the plans of God that you've had before them since before they drew their very first breath So Lord we we dedicate ourselves as a church to that end We will raise these kids in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. They are special kids, as Amram and Jochebed said of their son Moses. And as Moses later in life met you at a bush and everything changed, and he would go on to fulfill your purposes for his life. Late in life, he penned these words, and I just want to share them, churches as a benediction today. From Psalm chapter 90, this is my prayer and a benediction for us. Where Moses said, let your work appear to your servants. That's you and I. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. May the blessing of the Lord rest upon us. Word of grace. And confirm for us the work of our hands. God, show us what's to be done and how to do it. Confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, Lord. Confirm for us the work of our hands. As we raise this next generation for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you, church. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.